sermon, as we're in this Back to Basics series, I want to preach a sermon titled Back to the Family. Back to the Family. I heard about a dad this week, or maybe as I was studying, who uh, before he got married, he had six theories about how to raise children. Six theories. That's a lot of theories. He, he knew a lot, didn't he, before he got married. Today, that man has six children and zero theories. <laughs> That's about how it goes sometimes, isn't it? Uh, parenting is not for the faint of heart. Amen? <laughs> but I wanted us to think about in going back to the family Where do we go back to? Where do we find the information that that starts the family, that starts showing us what the family should be, what God has intended and designed the family to be? And I still believe this morning that God designed family. Amen? God designed family. God designed family for a reason and for a purpose and there are structures in place, and you and I do not define things that God has already defined, but we discover what he has defined, and then we try to walk in them, and we try to live up to them, and we try to obey them because God put them in place, the family, for example, in place for a reason, for a purpose, and it's for all of our benefits, and the family is the bedrock of the church. It has been said that as the family goes, the church goes. The family is the bedrock of society. I think we could say even as the family goes, society goes. And God help us to get back to the family. Well, there's no better place to go back to than the place where it all began, right? The book of Genesis. Genesis, that word, means beginning, Beginning, And we can understand a lot about the present time when we go back and look to the beginning. In fact, we can, I've been doing a lot of reading and studying in Revelation lately. We can understand a lot about what is to come and the future by looking back to the past and looking into Genesis. It is amazing to me how Genesis and Revelation correlate and connect and correspond to each other. But in Genesis, we see the beginning, and we see God's plan A, plan A. Look at your neighbor and say, plan A. And in searching the scriptures, I see no plan B. I see no plan B. God's plan A, right? God's plan A. So let's look back to the beginning this morning as we go back to the family that God has designed I want us to look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 20, and the last part of of the verse 20, and then we're going to read on to verse 24. We see that Adam has just named all of the animals, and each animal, there was a male and there was a female, God's design, male and female, just, just as it is with the human race. And we see as Adam has named the animals, We come to a part where the Bible says there's not a helper or a mate for Adam. But for Adam, there was not found a helper. Look at that last part of verse 20. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. Let's go on to verse 21. And the Lord caused a deep sleep 
to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs, and he closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now, somebody could say he might have seen her and said, whoa, man. (laughs) And she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Genesis 2, 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and a mother and shall be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. When I'm talking about going back to the family, we see in verse 24 the picture of what God ordained in his plan A and his, in his beautiful design for the family. God ordained that a man would leave his home, his mother and his father, And he would find his wife and cleave to her, right? And the two become one together in the sight of God and man. Isn't that a beautiful thing? That's God's design. And the two become one, one flesh, one in every way, one financially, one in a household, one spiritually in some regard, one sexually, everything, one flesh. The two become one. And in all those categories I listed, the only way that two can become one is if one is a male and one is a female. And God had said in other places here in Genesis to what? Be fruitful and to multiply and to replenish the earth. And biologically and spiritually, there's only one way that we can multiply and replenish the earth. And that is what? From a man and a woman who have come together as one, physically speaking. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. So we think about marriage. We think about marriage. Marriage has become quite the topic in this world in which we live, hasn't it? And I ask us this question, is there a definition for marriage? You see, through the years, there have been a lot of things Man speaking, I'm speaking in regards to man, secular, secularly speaking, that man has changed, mankind, humans, have changed the definitions of. Have you noticed that? And they've redefined and restructured and all these things, but I'm back in Genesis, I'm back in the beginning, I'm back this morning where God has defined Things and God still defines marriage as Genesis 2 24, where a man shall leave his father and his mother and he shall cleave to his wife and they shall become one. Is there a definition for marriage? Yes. Genesis 2 and 24. But there are some that say today, well, they say, well, what would Jesus say? What would Jesus say? Jesus is, is love and grace and and mercy, and, and sometimes people define and redefine Jesus as somebody who would just accept anything, any lifestyle, any version of any lifestyle. Oh, really? Maybe they haven't read about the Jesus that the New Testament talks about. 
Jesus was a, a Jesus, a savior of compassion and love, but he talked about judgment too, didn't he? Jesus could be very hard at times. Jesus brought some hard truths to folks at life. And if we really want to serve Jesus, we really need to study what Jesus said. And so today, for those that say, well, Jesus would accept this. Jesus, I believe in Jesus, and he loves everybody. He does love everybody. And he calls all sinners to repentance. But Jesus, every word that he said corresponded with every word in the Old Testament. And everything that I just read in Genesis, Jesus said it also. Everything that God designed in Genesis, Jesus validated it over in the New Testament. You say, prove it, Pastor. I'll take that challenge. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 19, and let's look at what Jesus said about marriage. So we're here in Matthew chapter 19. The context of this chapter is the Pharisees, those old religious scholars who thought they were better than everybody else, and they always tried to play gotcha with Jesus, and they always tried to put him in a corner and trip him up and get him into trouble and all those types of things because they were jealous and resentful and all those things. But here they are asking Jesus about divorce, about divorce, and really what Jesus tells them goes deeper than their question of just divorce. Jesus is really saying, hey, listen, boys, the real issue is marriage and what marriage is supposed to be and how marriage is defined by God creator. Look at Matthew 19 and three. The Pharisees also came to Jesus, testing him and saying to him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And Jesus answered and said to them, have you not read that he, God, made them at the beginning and he made them male and female? You might want to mark that verse that might come in handy in the next days and weeks and months and years in which we live. What did Jesus say about gender? Right here in Matthew 19, 4, Jesus speaks very clearly to us and to society and to whomever will listen he says to them, he who made them at the beginning, what made them male and female? Jesus speaks to the issue that we see debated today, doesn't he? Matthew 19 and five, then he starts speaking to marriage. And Jesus said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become what? Here it is again, one flesh. So does Jesus speak to biological gender? Yes. Does Jesus speak to marriage being between a man and a woman? Yes. Yes, he does. Does he speak very clearly? Yes, he speaks very clearly to those issues. Matthew 19, 6. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Boy, we could really go into a lot right there on, on that, couldn't we? On that verse, what man has joined together, don't let anyone separate. Now, he's, he's speaking there to when the husband and the wife become one, stay together, stay together like glue, stay unified together, don't separate. Absolutely, he's saying that. But even in a bigger picture in a world today where people are trying to undermine the concept of marriage between a man and a woman, Jesus speaks very clearly here. What God has joined together, what God has ordained, what God has established, let no man 
change it. Regardless of what the legislature in Virginia and the governor in Virginia define marriage to be, God has already spoken on the matter. God has already spoken on the matter. Let no man, we say it like this sometimes, let no man put asunder, right? We say that in the weddings. We also say, plight thee my troth. And I say, what in the world is plight thee my troth? We change that to pledge thee my faith. (laughs) So we understand what we're saying there, right? But what God has put together, let no man pull apart. Let no Congress pull apart. Let no Supreme Court pull apart. God's view from Genesis and Jesus' restatement of that in Matthew has not changed. Has not changed. So I want to tell us this morning, we need to get back to the family. We need to get back to marriage. We need to get back to these things that Christ has spoken and defined and shown to us. We need moms and we need dads. Amen? Amen. We need moms and we need dads. God designed it this way. What about a mom? Now, you, you mothers have already had your day and the men cooked for you and you wore your little hats. And Did anybody wear a hat? I didn't see anybody wear a hat. Didn't you used to put on little hats and come to Mother's Day? Maybe you should do that next year. I'm not seeing a lot of takers. Anybody take? <laughs> I got a few takers right there. <laughs> we need moms. Moms are nurturing. Moms are knowing. They just seem to know, don't they? What about nurturing? I thought about a, a kid. Uh, maybe they fall off their tricycle or they're running and they skin their knees. And they come to mom. And what does mom do? She just loves the (laughs) boo-boo away, right? Kisses the boo-boos, kisses the wounds, loves it away. We need moms. We need real, literal moms in the sense of the biological family. We need moms in the church, Amen? amen? There might be some among us, there might be some in our church body, there are who maybe biologically, maybe are not mothers, but they can be spiritual mothers. And love each other. Amen. If you see somebody who they are lacking a mother figure in their life, we need to love them and take them in, right? Kind of like Grandma Marie. She, she adopts us all in. We're all her grandchildren, right? <laughs> love one another. Moms are important. Moms are nurturing. Moms are also knowing. Moms just, and I think God has designed it this way, moms can just kind of know when something's wrong. And some of you moms ought to shake your head. You know that, don't you? Something's just not right with your children. Something like, moms just know. They have an intuition. They have a, an instinct, I guess you could say. And, and we need moms. We also need dads. Now, dads are not as nurturing as moms are, right? So that same kid that might have fallen off the tricycle and skinned their knee... And they want mama to hug them and kiss the boo-boos away and love them and all that. Dad might be over here and say, all right, brush it off and get back on that tricycle. What are you whining for? Come on, get going, going, right? And and kids need both. We We need the nurturing of moms and we need the dads that might push a little bit. And, and God designed it that way. So dads be dads, right? 
Moms, be moms. Be who God designed you to be and pour into your children and let them see a mom and a dad. And if we see children around us who don't have a mom or a dad in their life, we can step up and be that to them. Amen? Dads are providers and protectors. I'm always nagging my children and my wife, did you lock the doors? Did you, did you do that? You know, we're, we're protectors. We're, we're, we're worried. We want them to be safe. You know, we, you know, dads are protectors and providers. A dad should work. Amen? Let me say that again. A dad should work, provide, do, get after it, right? Dads are trainers. They train and show the kids. We need dads. We need moms. We need to get back to the family. God designed all of this. So I had a final slide this morning in this way. We need to, I've talked about going back to the family. I wanted to wrap it up in this way and say it this way. We need to go back to the future. Now, I'm not talking about the movie with Michael J. Fox, Back to the Future. (laughs) But if we want our future to be bright, and we do, don't we? We want the future of our families to be bright, the future of our society. We would love to think it could be bright. We need to go back to the future. And so if anything this morning to challenge me and to challenge you is for us to think, all right, what is my role in the family? And every family might look a little different. Some maybe have passed on to their reward and and some have more children than others and this and that. But what does it look like for me to go back to what God wants me to be doing in my family. Amen? What is my role in my family right now? And may I fulfill it. And may I determine to be one, not just with my spouse, but with my family. You know, I love what Genesis says, the two become one. I love what Jesus said, the two become one. And as I was reading some things about that, one commentator mentioned the term glue, glue. And I thought, man, it would be good for me to bring some glue to the pulpit today and preach with. But then I I got afraid I would end up gluing my hands together and I'd be preaching like this all day. I'd say, somebody lift your hands to the Lord. But glue (laughs) stuck together. And I say this as our biological families and as our church family, let's be like glue. Is that all right this morning? Let's stick together. Now, somebody in your family is going to make you angry. It might happen before the end of the day, (laughs) right? Might happen before you get out of church. I don't know. (laughs) But you know what? Let's stick together. Amen? Let's stick together. Let's keep a short list of offenses. If we get irritated with each other, if we get angry at each other, let's get it fixed before the sun goes down and let's move on with life. Is that all right this morning? Let's stick together. Love one another. Families, church family, stick together one, one flesh, like glue. The word is unity. I believe they used to sing a song around here. We ought to sing it again sometime. Bind us together Lord, bind us together with what cords that cannot be broken. Bind us together, bind us together, bind us together in love. And I say this morning, God, bind us together. 
If there's some things that I need to let go, then let's just let it go, right? If there's some things I need to forgive, let's just forgive it and, and, and move on. Bind us together, bind us together. Bind us together in love, like glue. One flesh, unity together. I wanna end with a challenge this morning from Joshua 24. It's a challenge to dads especially, but it's a challenge to all of us as well. Joshua 24, 14 and 15 Joshua says this, now therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth. Put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt, serve the Lord. I like that passage because it it goes back to the past and all of us can look in our genealogies and find a place where Maybe one of our fathers or forefathers were not serving the Lord. And Joshua's saying right here, listen, you may not have the privilege of having a godly heritage, but you can start right here in the here and now. You can start a new tradition. I'm glad my dad and my mother started a new tradition. My grandfather on my dad's side didn't serve the Lord, but my dad made a change and he began to serve the Lord. And now I serve the Lord. And now my children serve the Lord. And now my grandchildren are gonna serve the Lord. Amen? He said, don't serve the gods that your forefathers served when they were over in Egypt before I brought them back out. But serve the Lord. Now therefore, verse 14, or or verse 15, and and if it seems, I'm driving them crazy in the back, aren't I? (laughs) And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord. Boy, that's a statement right there. That, re- that resonated with me when I read that last night and thought about this world today, if it seems evil to serve the Lord. But now more and more, people are defining it as evil to really serve the Lord and really follow Christian teachings. Boy, that speaks volumes right here and right now, doesn't it? And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves when this day whom you will serve whether the gods which your fathers served when they were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites. I just talked about the gods of the past. Let me talk right now. There's a lot of gods, little g, that we could all compromise to to serve right now in the here and the now. And there's a lot of things that are pulling for our attention and for our worship and for our time. But he said, choose today who you will or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But I like this last, last sentence of this passage. But as for me, somebody say me. me. But as for me and my house. Somebody say my house. my house. But as for me and my house. Can I tell you there is something powerful when a man or when a woman says, as for me and for my house. Don't you know, it will make a difference. It will make an impact. As for me and my house, what are we gonna do? We will serve the Lord. Let's say it together. We will serve the Lord. Let's say it one more time. We will serve the Lord. Would you stand with me this morning? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord.
I think we ought to declare that this morning. I think we ought to believe that this morning. I think we ought to stand on that this morning. And we may not see the immediate turnaround in all of our children or all of our grandchildren, but I say we ought to declare it, we ought to pray it, we ought to believe it, and we ought to anticipate that we will see our households saved for the glory of God. Amen. As for me and my house, there is something powerful about just one of us making a declaration. So I challenge you, if you're a mom today, make that declaration. I challenge you, especially if you're a dad today, I think the dads ought to lead the way. Amen? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, they're going to sing for us this morning, and this altar is open. And this altar is always open, by the way. Any time of service, this altar is open. If you need prayer or you need something from the Lord, the altar is open. But as they sing, I want you to ponder these things this morning. I want you to especially ponder that last passage. And I want you to pray, and I want you to ask the Lord, please, what is he saying to you right now? And what is your response? What is his challenge to you through and by the Holy Spirit today. Is that all right? Could you pray that with me?